Hello and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Bernie, and we are seven weeks into the Donald Trump presidency, and I am here to bring you the weirdest and worst this week has to offer. Why do I do it? Because this is not normal. And when I say this is not normal, I really mean President Trump is not normal. Like last Saturday, he woke up and went a tweet storm in. Uh, I want you to listen in to what he said. I'd bet a good lawyer could make a great case out of the fact that President Obama was tapping my phones in October just prior to election. How low has President Obama gone to tap my phones during the very sacred election process? This is a Nixon Watergate bad or sick guy. Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't voluntarily leaving The Apprentice. He was fired by his bad, pathetic ratings, not by me. Sad end to a great show. Is it true that the DNC would not allow the FBI access to check server or other equipment after learning it was hacked? Can that be possible? Okay, so let's talk about a a few things here. First, if the previous president had ordered a wiretap on a presidential candidate, which he didn't, it would be the biggest story in American politics possibly ever. So it is super, super weird to go on a tweet storm about this story, but interrupt it partway through to talk about The Apprentice getting canceled. That's deranged. But it's not the most deranged thing about these tweets, obviously. You know, most of the media spent the last week treating this story like it's a genuine possibility because the president said it. So they've asked the White House what evidence Trump has that Obama put a wiretap on him. And the poor White House spokesmen are like, oh, well, he's the president, so he has access to intelligence that we don't have. No. No, 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 nope. This isn't secret intelligence only the president has. This is crazy right-wing conspiracy theory websites taking totally unrelated facts and combining them, sort of, and also just making a bunch of stuff up. And it's fine to push this when, you know, you're the annoying uncle on Facebook. It's not fine when it's the leader of the world's most powerful military pushing this stuff. Uh, He tweeted these from Mar-a-Lago on Saturday morning because, of course, that's where he was. I mean, you know, people are paying him $200,000 for access to the president of the United States. You wouldn't want to disappoint them. But his senior staffers weren't there with him at the time. This is from ABC News on March 4th. Priebus and Bannon, that's his chief of staff, Ryan's Priebus, and his chief advisor, Steve Bannon. Priebus and Bannon had planned to join them on the trip, but after Donald Trump's eruption, those plans changed. One source said both men volunteered to stay behind in Washington, with another source saying the president seemed to concur that they should. As Trump was in the air aboard Marine One, headed for Air Force One on the tarmac at Joint Base Andrews, a phone call was made from the West Wing to the team on board the president's plane, with a directive to remove Priebus and Bannon from the manifest, sources said. They would not be going to the Sunshine State. Uh, That story, like all stories 
that I talk about in the podcast are linked on my website, which is thetrumpscorecard.org. This is the president of the United States. You know, he throws this hissy fit because he's angry about the news. He kicks his staffers off a trip and then goes the next morning on a genuine InfoWars conspiracy theory rant about Obama wiretapping him. This is what I mean when I say this is not normal. He is not normal. It's new. It's improved. It's the new and improved Muslim ban. Now 5% less Muslim banny. Uh, let's talk about the differences between the new Muslim ban and the old Muslim ban. Uh, first, Iraq is now off the list of banned countries. Uh, second, the refugee ban is still there, but Syria is no longer singled out. Uh, those refugees are no longer banned indefinitely. Instead, Syrian refugees are treated the same as all the other refugees, and that means they're banned for the next 90 days. Uh, although I would expect at the end of those 90 days for them to extend it, and then uh, extend it, and then extend it, and then extend it, and so on and so on. Uh, third, they took out the language about religious minorities. Uh, that language was in the old ban in order to prioritize Christian refugees over Muslim ones. They denied that's what it was about, but that was clearly what it was about. Fourth, the ban no longer applies to uh, green card holders or people with valid visas. Uh, and fifth, it's still really racist. Look, is it a little bit better? Sure, around the edges, this version is a little bit better than the last version. But it is still fundamentally anti-American. It's still the same idea, keeping out refugees, targeting Muslim countries. They say it's about fighting terrorism, but will this keep us any safer? Of course it won't. And there's no question about this. It, it's settled fact that this makes us less safe. And it should be treated like settled fact. You know, when Trump and, and others who support this policy say it's to keep us safe, we should treat this claim just like we treat global warming deniers. It's not true, and we shouldn't pretend it's true. And speaking of, of global warming deniers, well, actually, uh, let me throw in that butt music first. Speaking of global warming denial, listen to this. I think that, that measuring with precision uh, human activity on the climate is something very challenging to do, and there's trem tremendous disagreement about the, the degree of impact. Uh, so, so no, I would not agree uh, that it's a primary contributor uh, to, the, to the global warming that we see. That's EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. Before he was at the EPA, he was the Attorney General uh, for Oklahoma, and he made a name for himself there suing the Environmental Protection Agency for protecting the environment, which is exactly the guy you want running the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, he recently had a, a bunch of emails released from his time in Oklahoma, and they told the story that everybody already knew, that he essentially rented out his office to the fossil fuel industry. And presumably, he'll do the exact same thing at the EPA, and denying that carbon dioxide contributes to global warming is number one on oil and gas's wish list. Now look, I have no idea what's in Scott Pruitt's heart. There is a decent chance 
He knows perfectly well that CO2 causes climate change. So which is worse, that the head of the EPA doesn't believe in science, which makes him stupid and therefore dangerous, or that he does understand the science, understands the consequences of that science, and just doesn't care, which makes him dangerous, irresponsible, and downright immoral. Whether you pick option A or option B, you lose. So here's something terrible. Uh, It's from Reuters on March 4th. Women and children crossing together illegally into the United States could be separated by U.S. authorities under a proposal being considered by the Department of Homeland Security, according to three government officials. Part of the reason for the proposal is to deter mothers from migrating to the United States with their children, said the officials, who have been briefed on the proposals. They're going to take mothers and children who have just crossed the border and separate them. I just want to talk about the immorality of that for a moment. No matter what you think of undocumented immigrants, no matter what you think of immigration in general, we're talking about mothers who have traveled through unimaginable danger over hundreds or thousands of miles, risked their lives, risked assault, risked everything they've ever had to come to this country and give their children a better life. And you want to take that child who has already lived through the most harrowing experience. They are terrified. And you want to rip that child from his or her mother's arms. Look, I get it. You're trying to deter migration. Fine. You're an anti-immigration administration. That's your job. That's what you're doing. But... Can you show just the tiniest shred of humanity for one damn moment? Is that really too much to ask? Let's keep talking about what terrible people are running our country. This is from the New York Times on March the 6th. The White House, concerned about the possible political repercussions of the Republican effort to defund Planned Parenthood, has proposed preserving federal payments to the group if it discontinues providing abortions. President Trump loves to talk about what a great dealmaker he is. Loves it. And I guess this is one of his examples of a great deal, you know, going to Planned Parenthood and saying, just stop doing abortions and we'll, we'll keep funding you. We won't defund you. That's not a deal. That's just telling Planned Parenthood to give anti-abortion folks everything they want. Just stop doing abortions and we'll keep sending you money. I want to be really clear on how federal funding to Planned Parenthood works. The, The federal government doesn't send a chunk of money to Planned Parenthood every year. There isn't like a line item in the budget that says money for Planned Parenthood. What we're talking about here are Medicaid payments. Federal government... Uh, pays for about half of Medicaid. Uh, And so if you go to Planned Parenthood and you're a Medicaid patient, uh, the federal government pays part of your bill. And this is for all kinds of health care, like contraceptive care, which reduces abortion. 
and STD prevention and treatment, uh, cancer screenings, all the way to regular checkups, everything except abortion, because federal dollars can't go to pay for abortions, even though they should. Of course, Planned Parenthood rejected this deal because it's dumb and not a deal. They just asked them to stop doing abortions. And thank goodness they did, because just like all those other services I listed, abortion is important health care, too. And don't you forget it. <laughs> Folks, it's time once again for Quick Hits. Quick, quick Hits. hits. Ben Carson, the Housing and Urban Development Secretary with no experience in housing or urban development, gave a speech right after he got confirmed where he said this. That's what America is about. A land of dreams and opportunity. There were other immigrants who came here in the bottom of slave ships, worked even longer, even harder for less. But they too had a dream that one day their sons daughters, grandsons, granddaughters, great-grandsons, great-granddaughters might pursue prosperity and happiness in this land. Yeah, he called slaves immigrants who had a dream. I honestly don't get how you can be so good at something as difficult as pediatric neurosurgery. The man performed brain surgery on fetuses in the womb, and so bad at everything else. How you can misunderstand history so deeply, it is honestly mind-boggling. From Energy and Environmental News on March the 6th, a preliminary budget proposal from the White House would eliminate federal leadership of Energy Star, a popular voluntary program for companies to seek labels for energy-efficient consumer products and appliances. You've probably seen the Energy Star label on your fridge or your dishwasher or maybe your water heater. Uh, and so this is a program run by the government to set standards to for companies to declare their appliances energy efficient. It is an enormously successful program. The brand itself is hugely recognizable. 90% of Americans recognize the, the logo when they see it. Uh, it saved consumers $34 billion in electricity costs. Uh, it's prevented millions of tons of greenhouse ga gases from entering our atmosphere, although Scott Pruitt would probably say that doesn't matter. Uh, and they want to shift control of this program from the government to industry. So the industry would then set those standards that allow people to put the label on their appliances, which would make those standards probably meaningless. So anyone could slap that label on their products, whether they're actually energy efficient or not. You know, this is a model success of a public-private partnership. This is how even Republicans should want government to work. Instead, they're killing it. The White House released a fact sheet saying that every six months, the Department of Homeland Security will put out a report on crimes by foreign nationals. Uh, it would include things like terrorism-based offenses and violence against women, including so-called honor killings. Here's the thing. Three women are killed by domestic violence every day in the United States. This isn't about bringing attention to violence against women. It's about tarring immigrants with a racist brush to promote more anti-immigrant, more Islamophobic policies. 
of course we should try to stop honor killings any way we can. But do you really think they are fundamentally different somehow from a white guy who shoots his girlfriend because he doesn't like the way she looks at another man? Finally, uh, from Reuters on March the 3rd, the Trump administration said on Friday it is suspending action on an Obama administration decision in October to probe a long-time practice by some airlines of preventing various travel websites from showing their fares and whether to require transparency in airline baggage and other fees. This is a pretty simple story, right? The Obama administration was working to make it harder for airlines to screw you over. Trump is stopping that effort. You know, it's the usual. He's draining the swamp and protecting ordinary Americans, just like he promised on the campaign trail. All right, time for our big story of the week. Republicans finally released their plan to repeal and replace Obamacare this week. Only it doesn't repeal it and it doesn't replace it. Uh, This was introduced by Speaker Paul Ryan and the Republicans in the House. But Trump has endorsed this bill, the American Health Care Act, 100%, and he is pushing for its passage. That means this is his bill. He owns it. And let's remember what he promised during the campaign. Everybody's got to be covered. This is an unrepublican thing for me to say, because a lot of times they say, no, no, the lower 25%, they can't afford private. But universal health care. I am going to take care of everybody. I'm, I don't care if it costs me votes or not. Everybody's going to be taken care of much better than they're taken care of now. The uninsured person right. is going to be taken care they're of. They're going to be taken care of. How? I would make a deal with existing hospitals to take care of people. And you know what? This is probably... Make a deal. Who pays for it? The government's going to pay for it, but we're going to save so much money on the other side. That's right. He said he'd make sure everyone was covered and government would pay for it all. But how does this new Trump care bill fulfill his promise? By the president's own scorecard, um, this bill does not live up to what even he suggested he wanted to do. This is a bill that I think by both Democrats and Republicans um, who have analyzed it have said will clearly reduce the number of people that are covered. And those that remain covered will be paying a lot more uh, for their care. That's Andy Slavitt. He oversaw Medicaid and Medicare and the Affordable Care Act for the last couple of years of the Obama administration. He had a good tweet storm on the new bill. I'll link to that on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. And he says that taking people off insurance isn't the only problem. If you put aside some of the tinkering with the insurance markets, which in the scheme of things are fairly modest, What this bill does is it um, passes uh, along a very significant tax break for high-income earners and some selected industries, the pharmaceutical industry, uh, the insurance companies, uh, tanning salons. Not that we have any reason to suspect that Donald Trump has any interest in propping up the tanning industry. Sorry, I, I interrupted you, Andy. And to pay for it, it guts the Medicaid program, which is the program that, as I think your listeners know, is designed to serve low-income people, uh, but also is the program that serves uh, to take care of people with disabilities and people who are in nursing homes. So people on Medicaid are screwed. I asked Andy, who else loses under the Trump care bill? Well, if you buy insurance today, um, you're going to be paying a couple thousand dollars more um, for your insurance. You lose more, the older you get, the poorer you get. So if you're between 55 and 64, 
um, you're going to be paying significantly more. And if you're um, low income, um, you're going to get a lot less help. You're not going to get the tax credits that you once got. You're not going to get the cost sharing reduction, which, which assists with deductibles and co-pays. So those are a couple of big obvious losers. Let's be clear. The Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, it's not perfect. It wasn't designed that way. The ACA is a law that's passed. is not intended to be the end-all, be-all, end product. It's intended to be continually improved. And for the last seven years, there's been a Republican Congress that has not just not worked to improve it, but has actively defunded it, created lawsuits, and so on and so forth. So if, for example, the 19 states that didn't expand Medicaid, expanded Medicaid, um, that would have dramatically reduced rates and covered a lot more people. So the question is, does the GOP bill make the ACA better or worse? I'll give you one guess. And this is kind of wonky, so get the popcorn out and um, listen in. I'll try to, I'll try to do it in, in really simple terms. You can pause if you need to make popcorn. I'll wait. But essentially, the way the, what, what works well with the ACA, and I'm not suggesting that everything works well with the ACA, but what does work well is that when premiums go up, the tax credits that people get automatically go up with them. And that keeps insurance affordable, but it does another thing. Uh, it prevents a situation from happening, which is exactly the situation that's set up in this new proposed bill. And that situation is the following. By giving everybody a tax credit that's not based on income, so it doesn't help with affordability, but based on age, what it does is if insurance rates go up or if they just happen to be higher because they're so varied in different parts of the country, then the only people that can afford to pay those rates are the people who um, really, really need the coverage. And so it discourages healthier people across the board from getting coverage. And then further, it takes what's known as the individual mandate, which is a, which is a requirement in the tax code, which allows uh, for people to, to be charged a small fee if they don't take coverage, it takes that away. So another incentive for healthy people to join the market. The combined effect of lowering the tax credits, of delinking them from premiums, which is what I mentioned the ECA does, and of getting rid of the um, individual mandate is really, really bad math. And this isn't bad math from a, someone from the Obama administration. This is bad math from anybody who's doing the math. So there's a lot of conservative commentators that were really the first ones to write about this. Uh, and of course, maybe they didn't beat my tweet storm, but they, but they were out there very quickly. So this is a fatal flaw, and already some of the major insurers have said publicly they won't, they won't be able to offer coverage in a climate like that. So how do you fix Obamacare? Andy says it's not hard. It's actually not that complicated. So the ACA was passed, and it was passed with a $100 billion budget surplus. What you'd want to do is take some of that surplus and put it back in the program. You can still keep it budget neutral and increase the level of subsidies for people in the middle class to reduce their costs and put some of that money into state-based reinsurance programs, which would also uh, have the effect of reducing costs. Now, that, that is uh, a fairly simple and straightforward thing to do. And the reason why it's 
so doable is because when the ACA was first rolled out, people thought at the time that there were going to be millions of people that were going to lose their coverage that were employed and be thrown into the marketplace. That would have had the effect of leavening the risk pool or making costs go down. It didn't happen, and that's not a bad thing, Jesse. That's actually a good thing. It's good for the people that get their insurance at work. Uh, it's good for employers. It's good for the federal government. But it did have the effect of making the risk pool a little bit sicker. So addressing that, I think, is just a matter of taking some of the savings and putting it back in savings for people in the middle class. That would clearly bring people back into the market, and it would clearly improve competition. And I say this not as just an Obama administration official. I say this as someone who spent 20 years in the private sector running large healthcare organizations. Uh, and so I, I have a very good feel for how the private sector works as well. One more really important point. Uh, the American Health Care Act is a big blow to public health. It would cut the budget for the Centers for Disease Control by 12%, about a billion dollars. And there's more. It also cuts into, the, into prevention benefits. Uh, it also um, uh, allows Medicaid not to cover benefits if it chooses not to in different states, like mental health benefits and, and other things. It defunds Planned Parenthood, and regardless of what you think of Planned Parenthood, that is a very, very bad public health move. It decreases access to care. I happen to be a big, big supporter of Planned Parenthood, but even if you're not, it's not a smart public health move. Um, so, you know, ac across the board, I think you have all of those impacts. And of course, you have to tie them to the biggest one, perhaps, of all, which is that millions and tens of millions of people would lose health insurance which, of course, cuts off their access to medical care and to a regular relationship with the physician. How do we stop Trump care? Andy has some ideas. Right now, I think the important thing to watch is there are a number of Republicans from states that have passed Medicaid expansion, moderate Republicans, um, Republicans who know that this bill would be destructive both to their state and to um, the state of insurance overall. And look, they're not in love with the ACA, and they don't have to be. Uh, but what they what they do have to recognize is that um, real Americans expect these problems to be solved. They don't expect Congress to take actions which send costs up. So hopefully, people will connect with and reach out to those congressmen and senators from those centrist areas and make sure that they understand how people feel about these issues. Personally, I'm not sure if there are moderate Republicans left. But the good news is this bill is off to a rocky start, largely because the ultra-ultra conservatives are worried it does too much for people. Uh, I, I wrote about this in Rolling Stone, and there's a, a link to that story on the website. But this isn't just an issue of numbers and policies. It's a fundamental question of values. The Affordable Care Act was a statement of values. It said we should work together to ensure as many people as possible. The AHCA is a statement of values too. You're on your own. And to be fair, a lot of Americans prefer that vision of the country. Me, I like the version of America where we have each other's backs. As always, I'd like to finish the podcast on a ridiculous note. We already talked about Ben Carson's speech to his new staff, and I want to play another clip from that speech. There is nothing in this universe 
that even begins to compare with the human brain and what it is capable of. It remembers everything you've ever seen, everything you've ever heard. I could take the oldest person here, make a little hole right here on the side of the head, and put some depth electrodes into their hippocampus and stimulate, and they would be able to recite back to you verbatim a book they read 60 years ago. It's all there. It doesn't go away. Like I said, Carson is a celebrated pediatric neurosurgeon, and I'm just some idiot on the internet. But folks, even I know that is not how memory works. You don't store entire books in your head like a damn computer. This is from the Washington Post on March 7th. Dan Simons, a University of Illinois psychologist who studies attention and memory, told Wired that Carson's claim was, quote, utter nonsense. Simon said it failed on nearly all counts. Humans cannot recall large swaths of text unless memorized for that purpose. Doctors cannot force patients to remember anything in crystal detail, even with deep brain stimulation. No human brain holds within it, quote, a perfect and permanent record of our experiences, the psychologist said. I don't understand how one of the world's great neurosurgeons managed to misunderstand the human brain so deeply. I don't know, maybe he just kept jamming a scalpel in people's heads and got lucky. Like a lot. Well, that's it for another freakishly horrible week. I want to thank again Andy Slavitt for, for joining me to talk about the new Republican health care bill. And of course, Isabel for kicking butt once again on Donald Trump's tweets. Uh, don't forget all the stories that I cover this week. You can find links to them on the website. That is thetrumpscorecard.org. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. There are links if you need an iTunes link or an RSS link on that website. Please go to the Facebook page and like us. Uh, that is facebook.com slash thetrumpscorecard. And if you go now, you'll get to hear a fun bonus clip of Izzy trying to say Arnold Schwarzenegger. Trust me, you do not want to miss that. I love to hear from you guys. Uh, I love tips for stories that you think I need to cover, uh, ideas to make the podcast better. You can email me uh, at thetrumpscorecard at gmail.com, and you can always reach me on Twitter at Jesse Burney. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That makes a huge difference. It's how people can find the podcast. So please do that. Everybody's going to be taken care of much better than they're taken care of now. The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember, this is not normal.